Alright, welcome back to Shoot Your Shot, everybody. It's your boy, Fuad, back at it with another banger. Today, we will be discussing the nature of the NBA about seven games before the playoffs take place. Isn't that crazy? It's literally almost playoff time, and I can't wait to cover that in more detail. The West is jam-packed from all the way from 6th to 12th place. We got like one game separating every single team from 6th to 12th. So honestly, it's going to be a roller coaster ride for the last 6, 7, 8 games. Every team has to play. There are a lot more storylines that have been going on over the past 2 weeks that I would like to get into today. And I am so excited to be reporting live to you guys on Shoot Your Shot. So, getting right into the news. I want to talk about how De'Aaron Fox, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and DeMar DeRozan, KD, and CJ McCollum are basically kind of bringing the mid-range game back. So we all know when the 2018 Houston Rockets became a household name that we have kind of already been seeing the mid-range shot dying because of stats preferring you taking a layup or shooting a three. So that kind of essentially killed off the mid-range shot, which basically kind of was the bread and butter of the NBA going into the 2000s. So Kobe Bryant, people like MJ in the 90s, they kind of brought up that mid-range shot and made it such an efficient shot that people look for. So players would just uh, kind of dribble to their spot and rise up. However, after Steph Curry came into the picture in 2009 and onwards, even he started off taking a little bit of mid-rangers, but then he kind of realized that I'm too good to keep getting twos. So he kind of stepped up his range, and the rest is history. We got players like Damian Lillard, Trey Young, just people shooting from half-court like it's nothing nowadays. Even Tyrese Halliburton has a nice jumper. So it's kind of nice to see the mid-range being brought back. So we see players today like even Kawhi Leonard just rise up in the mid-range like there's nothing to talk about. It's honestly an efficient shot if you know how to hit it because the best of the best hit it at like a 60% clip. And honestly, that's just as good as hitting 40% from three, which is really hard. Like the league average is around 36%. So if you're hitting 60% of your mid-rangers, I'd honestly rather you take that because at the end of the day, even analytics agree with me that it is the most efficient shot, but only if you're hitting it at that clip, which is quite hard. So only a few people that I mentioned earlier kind of take it that often because they're that comfortable with it. So it's kind of a nice shot to see being brought back and especially kind of leading into the playoffs. I think that it's going to be utilized more than ever because defenses become way more strict. They play their men way closer. The half court basically becomes the game to play in the playoffs. The game slows down a lot. So often than not, you're going to be finding a lot of people pulling up from the mid-range because it's often neglected from the defense because they're kind of trying to prevent you from getting that easy blow-by to get the layup or essentially just guarding you at the three like your life dependent on it because they don't want to be down by more points. So often than not, people are going to find themselves open in the mid-range and they can simply pull up and get a bucket easier than ever. And I remember CJ McCollum saying this on his podcast because he was literally talking about how easy it is to get open in the midi in the playoffs because often more than not, most teams end up neglecting it and it's just an easy thing to do in terms of pulling up and getting to your spot and getting that shot in. So I'm kind of happy that the NBA is kind of going back to its bread and butter, just going back to the shots that made it popular in the first place, and just not really relying on like static analytics to try to get the best shot. Like People like DeMar DeRozan in Toronto, my Toronto Raptors, they tried to get him to like change his game and shoot more threes. But at the end of the day, like honestly, that's just not his game. He's a way more efficient mid-range assassin. So I feel like we should have kind of accentuated his strengths rather than focused on the pitfalls that he was going through and the short ranges of his game. 
and try to make him adapt to something he's not when all along he was very, very efficient at the mid-range to a point that it's basically someone shooting 40% from three. So why try to change somebody that's doing that well on that aspect of their game when at in the end, it basically, statistically even, amounts to the same shot as even the best people in today's game are taking from three. So honestly, I'm a huge advocate of not the mid-range specifically, but players playing the way they play their game. Don't try to adjust their game to something it's not, especially the vets. Like, they've been playing the way they have for a decade almost, maybe even two if you count, like, their high school, middle school shenanigans. So honestly, like, just let the players do what they're good at. They know their game. They're obviously open to being coached, but not changed. Like, coach them, have them develop better tendencies, especially for them so the defense can keep guessing and not know what you have coming up next. But essentially trying to change the way people play, it's just not something I believe players should be going through because once you make it to the NBA, you have such a valuable set of skills already that you honestly don't really need more skill to prove that you should belong there and essentially have some random coach try to change your game and influence you to try to quote-unquote improve you. At the end of the day, you got there, so you deserve to be there. And I'm guessing that your midi might have contributed to you getting on that team, just like DeMar DeRozan, for example. So honestly, just keep players doing what they're doing and don't really focus on changing their game. Just try to accentuate it and make it better and kind of improve their tendencies so we keep the defense guessing, especially in the playoffs, which are right around the corner. Super excited for that. Super excited to cover that with you guys. Can't wait for that to happen. Honestly, just like I said earlier, every single team from 7 through 12 is literally two games apart. So these seven games that we have waiting right now will be the most important seven games in every single team's eyes that's in that 6 to 13 spot because they want to try to solidify themselves as a higher playing team or simply a playoff team from seats 6 and over. So like you've been seeing way too many seesaws in that 7 to 12 region. You got the Lakers finally reaching 500 at 37 apiece and then only to drop versus Chicago, which we're going to get into that later on this podcast. But I just have to mention how your man Patrick Beverly stared down LeBron on his return from February, his first game back, and he kind of little baby hooked him. And just kind of like gave him that too small to LeBron. You know, Pat Bev was on a mission that night and that was hilarious to see. Honestly, I'm not knocking him down for that. He's pissed at the Lakers for trading him as he should be. So like him giving the too little uh, celebration to LeBron kind of gave everything full circle. Kind of reminded us of how he celebrated in Minnesota when he made the play-in. So you never know, you might be getting another aspect of Pat Beth celebrating the play and like they won the the whole thing so um that's part of the reason why you want to see these games go so crazy because every single game counts every single team is trying to fight for that better seating spot so honestly speaking I think these seven games remaining are going to be a blockbuster of a games to watch every single game is going to be super important you have teams that are going to be playing like it's the playoffs already with a playoff atmosphere everyone's going to bring in their top game <clears throat> Specifically, like the Timberwolves, they went crazy after Cat came back with basically him cementing two games. So, honestly, like every single team from 7 to 12, if there's a game on, I'd recommend you watch it because it's going to have that playoff feel. Specifically, if even if your bet like favorite player isn't playing, I still would recommend that you watch that game because if you like basketball, then you're going to like those games. Teetering off of that, honestly, I feel so bad for Damian Lillard. Like, man's averaging career highs in points, free throws, and just, like, going across the board like a maniac at 32 years old, averaging over 32 points a game. He's literally the third in the entire league in scoring. And the front office simply, like, failed to 
good, put a good team around him, you know? Like, every time he advocates for a better team, the front office is like, oh, I'm going to go pick up this guy who basically proved himself in a nobody team and bring him so he can play with you in another nobody team. Like, at the end of the day, I feel like Damian Lillard deserves way better. He's way too good of a talent to be wasted in his city where he's loyal, but he recently came out on JJ Reddick's podcast, and he said that he did not want to be known for ring chasing. Well, I'm sorry, Damian Lillard. You're basically the only NBA player left where if you move, people aren't going to blame you because you're simply too good to be wasted in Portland, and you simply gave them too much time. Like, you've been in the league ever since you were 19, 20, and you're 33, about to turn 33, and you gave 13 years to Portland. What did they give you back? One trip to the Eastern Con- Western Conference Finals that you made happen? You were the only reason you got that far, and the team crumbled when you did, when you were too tired facing the eventual champion Lakers, in the Western Conference Finals. Like, at the, at the end of the day, honestly, you deserve a better team. You should get traded to L.A., play with LeBron and A.B., and try to get one chip, man. Like, get LeBron his last chip, so he has five. Get you one, so you deserve one. You're a member of the um, all-time 75 NBA team. Like, you deserve to be in a better place. I know you love Portland. I know it's your city. At the end of the day, even the fans of your city are telling you to go because they want to see you win because that's how much they care about you because of your loyalty. So honestly, just like you do you at the end of the day, honestly, no one's going to be able to change what you think. But I'm just here to tell you, like, even if you leave, people will still respect you. Like, you have put in way too much work and effort to not be recognized at this point in your career. You're not going to be considered a ring chaser or whatever you may think. Just please try to get your ring while you still can because you are one of the best players in the NBA at this point and you are getting old, my friend. I'm sorry to say it. LeBron calls you getting old during the All-Star rig and even you, you were shocked yourself to hear it. Like, you were like, oh, I'm getting old? I'm only 32. Well, yeah, that's not really old but like 20 years ago that's basically when players started to to decline but with all the medical investments we have in today's game people are playing well towards 36 37 however you are still going to decline my friend you really really need to prove the haters wrong you really need to get your own chip because at the end of the day no one's going to remember 20 years from now that you were loyal they're going to remember that you didn't get a chip just like Clyde Drexler anyways um, I kind of want to touch on how many injuries have been going on in today's NBA and kind of like gear it towards load management Um, we had the the Timberwolves star uh, Wiggins come out recently and basically talk about how a lot of people were traveling from all across the world to come see their favorite players only to realize that they've been on a load management schedule so honestly like I kind of agree I feel like a lot of today's players just simply like get too caught up in the narrative that they need to rest up whereas a mere 20 even 10 years ago playing 82 games was like normal like if you get a chart and look at all the all-stars from 2003 which is 20 years ago compared to now every single all-star except for three three out of 25 all-stars played in 82 out of 82 games whereas this year there's only one Julius Randle he's the only dude who's played in every single game until the all-star break so like this era of load management where it basically got steered up by my Toronto Raptors and Kawhi Leonard's championship run it kind of just made it like mainstream you know it was like hey if you're not resting your stars what are you doing like you can't play them in back-to-backs they have to be fresh when the playoffs come around But honestly, like, we saw people in a more physical era in the 90s, early 2000s, even the 80s with the Bad Boy Pistons, play in a way more physical demanding era and not get annoyed by the fact that they were playing 82 games plus the playoffs. That's around 100 games plus every season. And they weren't complaining, they were winning. People were basically just not as sensitive as they are today in terms of having to find that back-to-back to sit out or whatever the case may be. And honestly, it's not contributing to less injuries because I feel like Paul George 
said this best on JJ Reddick's podcast. He basically said that as you sit out more, your body cools down and is not as warm as it would be when you play longer. So basically, sitting out more games is going to result in you being injured more. Because if you're not sitting out, your body is consistently used to having that much effort being put into it every day. Whereas if you're sitting out, then you're basically going and playing with full energy without being warmed up. And then that kind of gives rise to more, more injuries happening. And that's only his perspective, but the end point is logical and it's correct because we have way more injuries today than we had back in the day and with a more physical game back in the day. So honestly, Paul George might be onto something here. He's an active player, so he knows best. Um, I disagree with uh, people being put on so many load management like programs and initiatives and things along that nature because at the end of the day the data is proving that it's not really helping Kawhi is a separate like issue i know he kind of got the whole ball rolling when it comes to load management but at the end of the day i really think that he didn't really like he he had his own reasons he had like this massive injury and he kind of like outsourced seeing doctors he didn't let the team be super involved with him whereas most players aren't like that and they don't need that program that applied to Kawhi to apply to them it's just sad seeing like videos on social media of literally like children like kids that are like five to ten years old flying like thousands of miles across the country with their parents because they probably don't live in an NBA city or something along those lines and then just like see their favorite NBA players sitting on the bench instead of playing because that's all they wanted to see. I'm glad that the kid who wanted to see Jimmy Butler at least got to talk to him and meet him. Honestly, to me, that's better than watching him play, but that kind of defeats the whole narrative that Players shouldn't be sitting in the first place, especially if you're not injured. I feel like the NBA and Adam Silver have to crack down on this because if they don't, it's just like the ref thing that we talked about last podcast. It's just simply going to keep going. Wrong calls are going to keep being issued because all they have to do is uh, issue a tweet at the end of the day and say, oh, we can't sleep at night because there are no repercussions or anything that the league is doing to implement that the refs take this seriously just like the league is not doing anything so players can stop sitting out and succumb to this load management issue that's very prevalent nowadays. So I really hope the league cracks down on this, even though I'm really kind of hopeless that they're not going to. But at the end of the day, I really hope that they do because this is something that's just not sustainable in terms of the fan base and the players because if you think it's saving them from being injured, the data shows otherwise. So honestly, just, just play like... You know the season's not going to get shortened anytime soon because it, the the league's going to get even more backlash for making it a shorter season compared to um, just having players sit out. So honestly, it's like a double-edged sword. I think I really hope it gets solved sooner than later because it's really not fun having even watching games online without your best player, never mind going to the arena and not seeing them play. That just must be like a stab to the chest. So honestly... Um, I'm happy players are coming out to talk about it, but at the same time, like, I feel like it should be a more prevalent issue that's being addressed by, like, the NBA Players Association or something along those lines. So, um, I feel like small teams that are, like, winning a lot aren't really getting any credit. Um, Exhibit A, the Kings, like, they are literally almost in second place, about to take over Denver for first place. Like, isn't that insane? They have the most efficient offensive rating in the league today. And they have the best positive road record. And no one talks about them. Why? Because they're a small market team that hasn't made the playoffs in 20 years. But, like, every other day, the Lakers, who are below 500 as of this recording, again, after reaching it, are being covered every single day. Why? Because they have the poster boys. They have LeBron James. They have Anthony Davis. They have... D'Angelo Russell, they have every single relevant player, they have Magic, or used to have Magic, they had Magic as a GM like a few years ago, so like those names just pull on, pull in more views, and at the end of the day, that's what the media's after, they're chasing views, they're not chasing actual news, that's why 
the whole thing with Draymond Green saying that the players empowerment era has kind of leached on to a better news era, the new news, whereas the old news is basically just people talking about useless stuff that no one cares about to pull in views because they're using popular names. And <laughs> basically, how is this going to affect LeBron's legacy, right? Am I right? So like, basically, I feel like this new era of reporting and news is shedding light on areas that actually want to be covered and people want to hear being covered as opposed to just like popular news that no one cares about that the media is just pulling in for like worthless views because at the end of the day i'd rather have less people listening that actually care about what i'm talking about compared to people clicking because they see russell westbrook's face and then not know anything i'm covering about russell westbrook so like I feel like that's why the NBA's media landscape today is a lot worse than what it used to be. And that's why it's kind of promoting this whole players news and like players coming out with podcasts and just like basically covering their own news because they're sick of like having the media twist their narratives and cover stuff that no one cares about just to pull in views. So they're essentially just kind of piggybacking on this concept that this new news era is basically what people actually want to hear because it's authentic and it covers the full story. It's not biased and it's not just covering it for the sake of views and popularity and just to be in controversial topics up so people can start talking about it and pull in more views at the end of the day. So honestly, I'm just really happy that the kings are getting their flowers on my podcast you know what i'm saying so like honestly at the end of the day like they deserve to be talked about because De'Aaron Fox almost missed the all-star game with his team being in second and him kind of like steamrolling his whole offense which is uh as i mentioned the top offense in the nba and uh, if you kind of take on the offensive rating numbers to heart, this is the most efficient offense in the history of the NBA, scoring 121 points every 100 possessions, which has never been done before. And the media wants to cover how Russell Westbrook is on 14 and his last 14 starts rather than talk about how De'Aaron Fox is having the year of his life and steamrolling his team that hasn't licked the playoffs in 20 years into the second seed and obviously or almost sorry gonna surpass the Denver Nuggets in first which is just insane like give the Sacramento Kings their flowers everyone saw the Malik Monk trade from the Lakers last year as something that is bad but now seeing how the Sacramento Kings are in second and the Lakers are basically fighting to stay at 500 not above it I can say Malik Monk did the right thing by leaving the Lakers. They got another shooter, which is basically not doing the best right now because he has a little drama with the Scottie Pippen situation. If y'all know what I'm alluding to, I don't really want to get into that player's bad business, but let's just say that Scottie Pippen's son is on the Lakers and so is Beasley, who his dad... Okay, so basically... Um, Scottie Pippen Jr.'s mom left Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen Jr.'s dad, for Malik Beasley, which is currently on his team. So I don't know if that's the reason why he went from shooting 37 plus, like 38% from three to 34. Maybe he's just getting worse looks. Maybe the LA, like, purple and gold uniforms getting to him, but it's just like a funny little situation that happened to go along so honestly, like, I hope the Lakers bounce back and Malik Monk did right by leaving them, even though they have a lot more news coverage and I find myself kind of steering away from the Kings talking about the Lakers. <laughs> I'm not trying to, but like, it's just a lot of tea to give out, you know, so it's kind of fun to talk about. But honestly, um, the Sacramento Kings deserve their flowers. I still think they're going to be a first round exit. I'm not going to lie because honestly, it's just... They're, they don't have experience, you know, they're a, a relatively new team. Um, when it comes to the playoffs, the game slows down a lot. It becomes a half-court offense situation. And they're a lot better in transition and things along those lines. Hopefully, Mini Jokic on the Sacramento Kings takes them far. I know Sabonis is such a good player, and he was, like, such a... Like, everyone looked at the uh, Pacers-Kings trade to be, like, something bad. 
But honestly, Halliburton and Sabonis are flourishing in their respective teams. So that's one of the few times that one of those trades actually benefited both teams fully. So it was really happy to kind of see them both kind of break out and just like benefit the most, which is kind of the opposite of what happened with the Kyrie situation, which you're going to get into later in this podcast as well. So um, moving on from the Sacramento Kings, I just kind of want to mention lastly that De'Aaron Fox has the most clutch points in the fourth quarter in the entire NBA. And they're still not being talked about because they want to see the Lakers at 500. So Honestly, I'm happy the new media is coming about. J.J. Redick, Draymond Green, C.J. McCollum, KD, they all have their podcasts. They can cover themselves, the news they want to do. But when it comes to the traditional media, man, somebody needs to stop that stuff because it's just not working out. It's just like, it's not, it's not, it's just biased. It's not helping anyone. It's just like covering stuff that people want to click on for no reason that don't even get engagement out of it. Eh, you do at the end of the day, I guess, but I feel like if you're going to do it well, might as well cover maybe the second best team in the Western Conference, I don't know. Alright, so I kind of want to go back to talking a little bit about how Damian Lillard has the most loyal genetical chromosome in his body, especially in today's day and age. I feel like the player empowerment has been taken too far into player enablement. So like, hear me out. So players are being enabled to do what they want rather than being empowered to do it. So like, for example, Damian Lillard having this whole narrative about how he's wanting to stick to his own city, but we're enabling him to leave. And we're kind of putting that pressure on him while telling him that we won't get mad. Whereas the player empowerment era kind of started that whole trend of like LeBron taking his town up at South Beach and everything along those lines. So honestly, like I I, I touched on it earlier in the podcast, but I just kind of wanted to mention how that kind of teeters off of like enabling someone rather than empowering them. Because at the end of the day, like I feel like players are a little bit given too much when it comes to enabling them to do stuff rather than empowering them to do stuff so hopefully the enablement aspect of Damian Lillard's situation works out because it's kind of the only way I want to see him success and prosper but at the end of the day even Stephen A. Smith tried to get him to get recruited to the New York Knicks and that didn't work so honestly I really hope he like moves because he is such a good player as I already said but We'll see. Time will tell. Um, there's a lot of reports coming out about this summer being a make-it-or-break-it summer for the Portland Trailblazers. They have enough cap space. If they trade, uh, like, say, De'Aaron Sharp and uh, Anthony Simons, they can get, like, uh, Bradley Beal or something along those lines. But even that won't address their defensive situations. So I just really think Dame should get up out of there, you know? Hopefully, we'll see what happens if he signs with the Lakers or the Raptors, which is, like, not going to happen. That would be a dream come true. But, hey, at least we got Kyle Lowry. One is a chip. So, that is what it is. So, um, we got your man's, uh, the Supreme Light Skin, Steph Curry, come back and drop 50 points on 20 out of 28 shooting. And, uh, yeah, it was really nice to see him come back and help his team. While he was gone, Clay Thompson was actually going crazy, averaging about 22 points with 45% from three. So we got to see the actual Clay Thompson bet. And staying on this kind of like Warriors segment for a little bit, you guys are kind of undermining the Warriors because they had like a rough start to the season and everything like that. But even when Steph was out and Clay was carrying, they didn't like go under the seventh seed. And two of their best defensive players are out right now so i just want you guys to think about that they have the best starting lineup in the entire nba when you look at pure starting lineups they have the best starting lineup in the entire nba and two and but their defense is like a bottom seven defense right but even with that bad of a defense they're still managing to click onto that sixth seed and on top of all that their two best defensive players are out right now Gary Payton just came back last game, and he got a massive standing ovation. He left from the Blazers, ironically enough, 
which we were just talking about, but he came back to his home city, which he won a chip with, and he's contributing already on a defensive end that we're seeing. So the Warriors' defensive rating is only going to climb, and then they are also missing Andrew Wiggins, who they've been missing for a few months now. He's sitting out because of something personal that we don't even know what it is, but personal reasons I won't like pry into it or anything like that but just think about the potential that the Warriors will have when they bring Andrew Wiggins back along with GP the third like it's just insane to me to have all that potential sitting out and then people already discounting them from their title run like we're talking about Steph Curry here it's not like some random player man it's literally the best shooter of all time. And on top of that, they're the defending champions. And you're already ruling them out? Like, that's crazy. The West is so volatile right now. Like, it just doesn't make sense to rule a team out because they're, like, not that good right now. Especially because that's not the case. Like, they are doing well because their best two defensive players are out. Like, and then Steph was out for, like, a few months and Clay was carrying. Clay's officially back. And, like, you guys know that if you want someone to talk about heating up, Clay's the face of heating up. He dropped like 60 points in three quarters. He dropped 60 points with like three dribbles. Like if he heats up and you give him the ball on a catch and shoot, that's touching nothing but net. So please stop counting out the Warriors because I think they're this year's Western Conference title runs dark horse because they can either flop out of the first round, which is highly unlikely at this point, but they can, or they can make the finals, <laughs> which people are heavily discrediting for some reason so i just kind of wanted to bring some clarity on that front and remind everybody that their two best defensive players are out and they still have one of the most efficient offices in the entire nba so imagine like andrew wiggins isn't uh just a defensive stopper like he is a crazy offensive player as well so like the sky's the limit when it comes to this team man honestly like if you're discrediting them then you don't know basketball like i'm sorry it's just it's just the truth so I kind of want to move on to the Nuggets a little bit because they've kind of been getting exposed. I'm not going to lie. Like, honestly, I thought they were way better off because they had, like, the best record in the West. And they still do. But, like, after All-Star break, they've been, like, kind of struggling, man. Like, they're 1-5 in, in their last six. And they're 2-4 and four with the 26th ranked defense. So, like, we all talk about Jokic being, like, the front runner for MVP, which is not the case anymore because he's been playing so bad after All-Star break, like I'm talking about right now. And Joel Embiid kind of, like, overtook him for a little hair of uh, being the favorite for MVP, which, honestly, I feel like he deserves because he's been the runner-up for, like, three years, just like Harden was in the late 2010s. So I feel like Embiid's, it's like about time he gets it, especially because he's not missed as many games as he usually does. He's leading the league in scoring. His team's the second seed in the East. Like, he's doing well. So honestly, I feel like he deserves it this year. Whereas um, the, the the narrative for like the entire first portion of the year was about how Jokic is going to 3 P just like Larry Bird did. So, and then honestly, I don't really want to get into this because I'm not like a whole proponent when it comes to like race and stuff like I don't believe you should talk about that stuff especially in sports nowadays like it's just useless but like Kendrick Perkins who's actually like someone I kind of enjoy listening to he came out and said that like Jokic is getting unfair treatment because he's white and like the last person to win three straight MVPs was also white and like the only MVPs to win since the 1990s have like been white that haven't led the league in scoring. Like, bro, like you're literally cherry picking stats. Like if you went back one year, the other player who didn't lead the league in scoring was black who won the MVP. But you didn't want to mention that, did you? Like you can't just like pull stuff out of left field and like try to be like racist. Like the league is not racist, man. Like it's literally over 70 percent of the players who are black and like no one cares about the color of your skin. It's about the game you play at the end of the day. Like, honestly, that was such a weird narrative that ESPN came out and apologized on his behalf. And it just became, like, this whole situation and ordeal, which, like, shouldn't have been the case in the first place. But honestly, it is what it is, man. Like, today's world, like, people are just going to grasp on anything to get a headline. So, like, honestly, it could have been worse, honestly. So, yeah, I feel like the Nuggets are not doing as well. Um, teams are literally, literally like kind of exposing, like for lack of a better word, they fully exposing Jokic on defense. Like 
at first when I talked to my friends about this, like I was saying like, nah, like he's not that bad. Like he's a seven footer, you know, like how bad can he be? But then like I started watching some more like footage. This dude literally does not try on defense because he always has the ball. He's like trying to get that triple double, you know, like he, he just like watches you lay it up in front of him. Like, he just, like, he swipes at the ball when you're already going up as a seven-footer. Like, dude, just try to get the block. Like, odds are you're going to get the block. Trust me. Like, you're, you're trying to swipe at the ball. Like, you're already, you have long-ass arms, so, like, swiping at the ball won't help, man. Like, you're too slow to swipe at the ball. Just, like, try to block it, you know? Like, he just watches teams lay it up next to him. And, like, being the top seed... Like, you had such a massive game differential between the first and the second seed. Now it's only, like, three games because you guys have been losing. You're 1-5 and in your last six. Like, honestly, I feel like the Denver Nuggets are way better than they're, like, portraying themselves to be after the All-Star break. Maybe Jokic just had enough and he wants to, like, relax for a little bit because, like, the media has kind of been, like, portraying this whole narrative about if he wins three consecutive MVPs and doesn't make, like, a finals run, then he's, like, the worst three-time MVP in the history of the game or something like that. But I don't really believe that because at the end of the day, like, it's a regular season award. It has nothing to do with the playoffs. You can be a phenomenal regular season player and then choking the playoffs like we've seen it with Harden like he won MVP so what I know he didn't win it like three times in a row but like a lot of players are choking the playoffs like my Toronto Raptors DeMar DeRozan that's why we traded his ass <laughs> like, because he kept choking in the playoffs and then we got some dude who buried the best shot in the game seven series against Philadelphia you know so some players are just like that man some players aren't made for the clutch moments when it comes to the playoffs but I don't think that should take away from a regular season since it's a regular season award and he has been leading the league in advanced stats for the third year in a row. So honestly, I think it's going to be close, but I think uh, Embiid's going to edge him out because of this like final little 20-game streak that's been going on post-All-Star break. The, the Nuggets haven't really been playing their best, and I feel like that kind of cost Jokic the three-time MVP award unfortunately but it is what it is i feel like if he like goes on and has like a massive playoff run then that's better for him than like having the three consecutive mpps because then he can shut up the critics and tell them that hey like last time i carried my team in the playoffs without my two best players because they were injured and last two seasons i've been kind of been doing this whole stuff by myself and now i have like my team next to me and i can actually show you guys that we're a better team than you guys give us credit for and all that stuff so Hopefully we'll see, and I'll be right here to cover the playoffs along with you guys. So looking forward to saying that and covering that as well. So I kind of want to talk about that little like possession when the Mavs were defending the wrong side of the ball against the Warriors that other day. And then I kind of want to carry on about how the Mavs lost twice back-to-back to the Charlotte Hornets, which is the biggest point differential surprise of this NBA season. And you can see it in the body language of the players for the Mavs. Like, Luca was just, like, not having it. He was like, yeah, screw this, man. Like, I used to be out there on the court having fun. Now I'm just, like, hating my life outside on the court. Like, it's not fun. They gave up way too much depth in Spencer Dinwiddie and DFS to acquire Kyrie Irving that has not shown to be paying dividends uh the Mavs are 8 and 13 since the Kyrie trade and when Luka and Kyrie play together they are 3 and 7 so it's safe to say that they've been losing most if not all the games since the trade because uh I don't know they gave up all their depth yeah you'd figure that if you give up two good defensive players for one offensive player that needs the ball then that might not materialize when you have one of the most ball dominant scorers in the history of the nba with one of the highest usage rates ever so yeah you know beats me you thought maybe if you like took off some of the load on uh, Luka Doncic on the offensive side that he'd play more defense but no it actually translated to him complaining to the refs more about why he didn't get the shadow call that shouldn't have been called in the first place (laughs) he doesn't bother crossing the free throw line on the other side of the court to come back which is kind of funny because Mark Cuban kind of like decided to contest the league when that whole, like, Mavs situation happened where the ref, like, said that it was their ball before the timeout and then, like, just told the Warriors alone that it was their ball, not the Mavs ball, and then the Warriors lined up on the right side of the court by themselves and (laughs) Steph Curry got a free assist and Looney got a free bucket with nobody guarding them. But And then the game kind of, like, ended up being a three-point game. So 
you just kind of get you thinking, you know, like, the Mavs haven't been having the best luck, but also, like, they did not strategically put themselves up for success. I honestly don't know what's gonna, if they're gonna make the play-in at this point. They're, like, three, they're, they're like, two games back of 10th place, so they pretty much need to go 7-0 and to end the season to have, like, some sort of play-in and playoff hopes. I don't know. If they do make a play-in tournament, they're probably going to be 10th or 9th, which means that they have to win two games in a row, which is tough. I honestly don't think they have the best odds, especially because they were all the way in the Western Conference Finals last season, and then Mark Cuban decided to go crazy and trade all of his offense for Kyrie Irving because they had never had someone of that caliber be in the maps before. Kind of like reminds me of the whole DeAndre Jordan thing when and the Dwight Howard thing, Tyson Chandler thing back in the dark days. If you guys know what I'm talking about, basically he didn't want to trade. Uh, he didn't want to re-sign Tyson Chandler, which was a huge part of their 2011 championship. And then Tyson Chandler went on in a Knicks uniform the very next year in 2012 to win the Defensive Player of the Year award. And then um, Mark Cuban just realized how messed how messed up that was that he didn't re-sign him. So he decided to reacquire him a few days later with an aging roster that was way too past his prime. And then Tyson Chandler himself was reporting how like he heard the uh, the whole welcome conference, like welcome back conference, saying that like, oh yeah, this is gonna be a long term thing, only for him to be traded seven months after that very conference. So honestly, like Mark Cuban might be the goat of Shark Tank, but he is not a good owner. I think he just like gambles too much. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He kind of just thought he would outscore teams with Luca and Kyrie, and at the end of the day, they don't even have a top ten offense. Their offense with Luka and Kyrie is rated the 11th best offense, and they have the 27th ranked worth defense out of 30. So, yeah, I, I think Mark Cuban basically messed up right then and there. So, we'll see where the Mavs end up. I don't really know if they're going to do that well, but I'd love to be proven wrong because I enjoy watching the Mavs. So, we'll see what happens. Um... Yeah, honestly, like, the West is crazy right now, so, like, every single game matters, like, these, these like, games in between the 7th and 12th seeds are just, like, way too tight, man, like, I'm really excited to see what the final standings will look like, uh, I really hope the Mavs kind of make the 10th spot, because I don't really want to see OKC <laughs> with Shea just, like, taking a bunch of layups and middies, I'm not, like, not to knock down Shea, like, that's his game, but, like, I just enjoy watching Kyrie and Luka a little bit more than Shea, if you know what I mean. But, yeah, so, um, lastly, I just kind of want to talk about the Nets and the Lakers real quick. Um, so, the Nets are kind of an interesting story because they were fourth before the Kevin Durant-Kyrie Irving trade. Now they're sixth and all the way down close to the seventh spot. So, honestly, like, some interesting stats that, they are really reliant on McCaw Bridges. Like, I know that's the best player they got out of the whole trade, but they're, like, overly reliant on him. Like, they have such good defensive wings that start every game that I think their defensive rating should be way higher than what it is right now. So their defensive rating as of this recording is ninth place. They're only allowing around 113 points every 100 possessions, but... Given the fact that you have, like, DFS, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Spencer Dinwiddie, and then, like, a crazy center, like, you guys should be a lot better than you actually are. Like, Claxton's holding down the paint. He leads the league in blocks. He leads the league in field goal percentage. Like, just being ninth in defensive rating is not going to cut it with the personnel that you guys have. Like, even Royce O'Neal, like, you guys just have insane depth when it comes to defensive wings that you could basically start five defensive wings, like the Raptors tried to do, but a better version. And you guys are still kind of fumbling the bag. Like, it just doesn't make sense that you guys are doing so well, but not at the same time, if you know what I mean. Like, I just feel like they deserve a better defensive rating than they're putting out there because their personnel has way more potential than they're showing. So, like, just to prove to you guys how much they're relying on Mikhail Bridges, they are 5-2 and two when he scores more than 30 points, and 1-9 and nine when he scores under 30. Like, how can you be that reliant on one player? 
and they're like uh, 12 and 21 after the KD injury. Like, it's just not been going well. The team's not gelling together. I feel like they might do better next season with, like, them, them just having the whole training camp together and, like, having a full season together. But, like, honestly, I thought that they had such good pieces and they kind of rekindled their whole, like, draft compensation that they gave up to acquire Harden. So they're in a really good spot. And I just don't think their game is translating to how well their personnel should be playing. So... Honestly, like, I really hope that they end up making the plane at least so we can see, like, how much they do under pressure. But at the same time, like, I feel like you should get Mikhail Bridges some help. Where That doesn't really make sense because he does have it. I just think that they need to, like, figure out how to play better together because they're not getting the most that they could out of this roster because the potential that that roster has is, like, the sky's the limit, basically. And it's just not, like, translating on the court, you know? Like... They had, like, that insane comeback, the biggest comeback in the league, which we covered two episodes ago. And, like, that's, like, a really good feel-good story, but then they go back to keep losing games. So I, I just really think that they need to, like, get themselves out on the map before they, like, kind of get overlooked, you know? Because, like, other teams like the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Boston Celtics and the Philly 70s, they all have better defensive ratings when I fundamentally believe that like Claxton having the center position and then like McCall Bridges being your small forward, like these are one of some of the best defensive players in the entire league. Like you should have a top three defensive rating, not a top 10 defensive rating. Hopefully, like, that materializes next season. I'd really like to see their defensive potential translate to a more flowing, smoothly flowing offensive game because everyone knows that defense ends up winning championships. That's how my Toronto Raptors got theirs in 2019. And honestly, like, if you don't have a top 10 defense, and odds are you're not going to even make the playoffs. So I just, I just want to see them materialize on their potential at the end of the day. So, like, I just kind of want to dedicate these last five minutes to the Lakers because, obviously, we have to talk about the Lakers because they're the Lakers. So, basically, um, after LeBron James got injured in late February, Darvin Ham decided to give the keys to the franchise to Austin Reeves. So, Austin Reeves went from being, a, like, a catch-and-shoot role player who, like, would drive every other time they got the ball instead of catch-and-shoot to, like, uh, their fundamental point guard and it's kind of interesting because they got like a really good established point guard in D'Angelo Russell but then like at the same time Reeves is kind of like sharing that point guard load with him and even like handling the ball a little bit more because Russell's been kind of like injured ever since he like twisted his ankle when he got uh, to the Lakers so Reeves has kind of been like carrying on that offensive load and then they got Schroeder coming off the bench so like I feel like that's kind of a really good rotation to have because Reeves has kind of been learning really well from having that point guard position handling the ball making those decisions getting his teammates open and he's kind of also been like getting a lot of fouls so he's been foul hunting like there's no tomorrow he's been playing really well that ever since the LeBron injury he's been averaging 18 points six assists and three rebounds on 50 56 percent from the field and 41 percent from three and then I feel like the Lakers are going to fumble the bag like they did on half of their good players. And he's like, basically, the chatter around him right now is like, he's going to be a restricted free agent after this season. So the Lakers are thinking of offering him four, million, uh, four years for $50 million. But like, given how he's been playing on the efficiency that he has been playing, like he literally has games where he's shooting like 10 for 12. Like, if you only have to take 12 shots and have 20-plus points, then you are going to be in demand in today's NBA because that's hyper-efficiency. And I feel like the Lakers are going to lowball him like they did every other player that walked away on them because they're, like, just being really top-heavy like they always were. And, like, I really hope he stays. Like, they let people like Caruso go and, you know, like, things along that nature. So... I don't know if he's going to accept his contract because I really think he has the potential to earn way more given his recent gameplay. However, I might be wrong. Time will tell. And it's kind of the last thing I want to leave you guys off with is like how the Lakers basically just touched 500 and they were kind of celebrating like they won the chip like Patrick Beverly did with the Timberwolves last year when they won the play-in. Which kind of comes full circle because Patrick Beverly spoiled LeBron's return like we discussed earlier in today's episode. 
And he had the nerve to call LeBron too short to give him that too little celebration after he post-hooked him. <laughs> uh, it's just crazy to think about how a 6'1 guard post-hooked a 6'9 forward, which might be the best 6'9 forward to ever play basketball, and then give him the too little celebration after he did that. And on top of that, it was preceded by LeBron breaking a three in Patrick Beverly's face. And the Chicago Bulls ended up winning the game. They've low-key been going on a tear. They're 10-5 and five since acquiring Patrick Beverly. A lot of the people in the Chicago front office and the team members are describing how Patrick Beverly arriving was kind of a tipping point and a shifting point in which they are just playing way better basketball. They're playing actual Chicago Bulls basketball. And to help out, um, uh, Alex Caruso is back from injury too. So, like, they have a lot more defensive prowess with Patrick Beverly and Alex Caruso. So, it's kind of interesting to see how if you just give that really well-oiled offensive machine of a team just a few good defensive players, um, they're actually doing really well. And, like, they were kind of, like, just expected to miss the playoffs and the play-in, like, chilling with the 11th, 12th spot. But, like, because of their recent winning streak... They're actually in 10th place, and they're only a half game back of my Toronto Raptors in 9th. So they kind of just beat, like, the Washington Wizards for that 10th spot, and they're, like, basically telling them that your guys are done. We're going to be in this playing tournament to fight for a playoff spot. And it's just really nice to see how that, like, whole Patrick Beverly-LeBron situation came full circle. And, like, uh, Patrick Beverly was interviewed about the issue later, and he kind of started calling out Darvin Ham kind of started saying about how he got him like defending more wings rather than guards which he can because like Patrick Beverly is at 6-1 is going to take on any challenge but like obviously a 6-1 guard defending a 6-7 6-8 wing is going to be way less effective than him um, defending like anyone from the 6-1 to 6-6 range because that's just how plain physics works so like he kind of called out Darvin Ham because he got him, like, not playing his actual game, defending, like, way taller players rather than um, him just being, like, a guard and defending guards and, like, smaller wings. So um, it's kind of interesting how he called out the whole Lakers franchise. Like, you know, Patrick Beverly is always, like, a big mouth. He's going to do whatever he thinks is right. But I'm honestly super intrigued because the Lakers play Chicago one more time before the end of the season. So I want to see if, like, Anthony Davis' birthplace and stuff like that and the fact that LeBron got called short by a 6-1 guard is going to propel them to win next game. And you guys will be right here for me to cover that for you on the next episode of Shoot Your Shot. I am so excited to take you guys with me on this insane historic NBA playoff run. And if you guys still made it to the end of this episode, you're a real one. I really appreciate you listening to my voice for 15 minutes. And I cannot emphasize to you how I'm excited to cover the playoffs. Please be on the lookout for more episodes in the next few weeks. It's been your boy, Fouad Floyd Kadora. And I'm out. We'll see you guys next episode. Thank you guys for listening. Peace.